0: chapter 19 of mosby's memoirs this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org this recording is by mark smith of simpsonville south carolina mosby's memoirs by colonel john singleton mosby chapter 19 my recollections of general lee My first meeting with General Robert E. Lee was in August 1862, when I brought the news of Burnside's reinforcement of Pope, a story I have told in the preceding pages. The next time we met was at his headquarters in Orange, about two months after Gettysburg. He did not seem in the least depressed, and was as buoyant and aggressive as ever. He took a deep interest in my operations, for there was nothing of the Fabius in his character lee was the most aggressive man i met in the war and was always ready for an enterprise i believe that his interest in me was largely due to the fact that his father light horse harry was a partisan officer in the revolutionary war after general Stuart was killed in may 1864 i reported directly to general lee during the siege of petersburg i visited him three times twice when i was wounded once when i got out of the ambulance he was standing near talking to general longstreet when he saw me hobbling up to him on crutches he came to meet me introduced me to general longstreet and said colonel the only fault i have ever had to find with you is that you are always getting wounded such a speech from general lee more than repaid me for my wound the last time i saw him during the war was about two months before the surrender i had been wounded again he was not only kind but affectionate and asked me to take dinner with him though he said he hadn't much to eat there was a leg of mutton on the table he remarked that some of his staff officers must have stolen it after dinner when we were alone he talked very freely he said that in the spring of 1862 joe johnston ought not to have fallen back from the rapidan to richmond and that he had written urging him to turn against washington He also said that when Joe Johnston evacuated his lines at Yorktown in May of that year, he should have given battle with his whole force on the isthmus at Williamsburg, instead of making a rear-guard fight. When I bade Lee good-bye after our last interview, I had no idea that it was my final parting with him as my commander. I can never forget the sympathetic words with which he cautioned me against unnecessary exposure to danger. The following is the last order he ever gave me. It was dated March 27, 1865, and put me in command of all northern Virginia. Collect your command and watch the country from the front of Gordonsville to Blue Ridge, and also the valley. Your command is all now in that section, and the General, Lee, will rely on you to watch and protect the country. If any of your command is in northern Neck, call it to you. Signed W. H. Taylor, Assistant Adjutant General. Lee was raised in the political school of Washington and Hamilton. In the Virginia Convention of 1788 his father had voted against the imbecile Confederation and for the Constitution which made the laws of the Union supreme law of the land, and in 1798 spoke and voted against the famous States' Rights Resolutions. In the year 1794 he commanded the virginia troops that were ordered to pennsylvania to suppress the whiskey insurrection it is difficult to distinguish in law between washington's proclamation in 1794 calling out the military force to execute the laws of the united states and lincoln's in 1861 as lieutenant colonel of the second cavalry lee was stationed in texas in february 1861 but was ordered to Washington, arriving there about the time of the presidential inauguration. The Commander-in-Chief, General Scott, a Virginian, was too old for active service. There was then no retirement law, and he wanted Lee near him as an adviser and second in command. On March 16, Colonel Edwin V. Sumner was promoted to be a Brigadier General in place of Twiggs, who had been dismissed for treachery in surrendering the Union troops in Texas. A Virginia lady who met Lee about that time told me, many years ago, that he spoke to her with great indignation about General Twiggs's conduct." Lee now became Colonel of the First Cavalry. His biographers do not seem to have heard of this promotion, and have ignored the fact that he accepted a commission from President Lincoln. Lee was with his family at Arlington and on confidential relations with the War Department up to the day of his resignation. April 20, 1861. As the command of the U.S. Army was offered to him, Scott must have thought that he would stand by the Union, and Lee's purpose to resign in the event of Virginia passing an Ordinance of Secession had not been disclosed. Lee was forced by circumstances to take the side for which he fought in the war. On the subject of slavery and the right of secession, he agreed with Abraham Lincoln, five years before in writing about slavery he had said it is a moral social and political evil writing at fort mason texas on january 23 1861 after seven states had passed ordinances of secession lee said the framers of our constitution would never have exhausted so much labor wisdom and forbearance in its formation and surrounded it with so many safeguards and securities if it was intended to be broken by every member of the confederacy at will it was intended for perpetual union so expressed in the preamble and for the establishment of a government not a compact which can only be dissolved by revolution or by the consent of all the people in convention assembled it is idle to talk of secession anarchy would have been established and not a government by washington hamilton jefferson madison and all the other patriots of the revolution when lee resigned his commission to join the forces of his native state he acted as nearly every soldier acts from personal sympathy with the combatants and not on any legal theory of right and wrong On the day when he resigned he wrote his sister that he could not draw his sword against his family his neighbors and his friends on the previous day he happened to go into a store in alexandria to pay a bill his heart was burdened with a great sorrow and he uttered these words which the merchant wrote down in his journal they still stand there today i must say that i am one of those dull creatures that cannot see the good of secession below this entry the merchant wrote spoken by colonel r e lee when he paid this bill april 19 1861 a few days later lee was made commander-in-chief of the forces of the state of virginia there was no competition for the position the late judge john critcher represented westmoreland lee's native county in the secession convention and was one of the committee sent to notify him of the appointment the judge told me that when lee returned with the committee to the convention hall in the capitol at richmond they had to wait for a few minutes in the rotunda looking at howden's statue of washington lee said very gravely i hope we have seen the last of secession he evidently feared that the seceding states would soon separate from one another the life of alexander stevens shows that the apprehension was not unfounded and that the members of the confederacy were held together only by the pressure of war and by the despotic power of the central government at richmond i once heard general john c breckinridge say at a dinner in baltimore soon after he returned from his exile in canada that if the southern confederacy had been established there would have been such a spirit of local self-assertion that every county would have claimed the right to set up for itself. I met General Lee a few times after the war, but the days of strife were never mentioned. I remember the last words he spoke to me, about two months before his death, at a reception that was given to him in Alexandria. When I bade him good-bye he said, "'Colonel, I hope we shall have no more wars.' In March 1870 I was walking across the bridge connecting the Ballard and Exchange Hotels, in Richmond, and to my surprise I met General Lee and his daughter. The General was pale and haggard, and did not look like the Apollo I had known in the Army. After a while I went to his room. Our conversation was on current topics. I felt oppressed by the great memories that his presence revived, and while both of us were thinking about the war neither of us referred to it after leaving the room i met general pickett and told him that i had just been with lee he remarked that if i would go with him he would call and pay his respects to the general but he did not want to be alone with him so i went back with pickett the interview was cold and formal and evidently embarrassing to both it was their only meeting after the war In a few minutes I rose and left the room, together with General Pickett. He then spoke very bitterly of General Lee, calling him That Old Man. "'He had my division massacred at Gettysburg,' Pickett said. "'Well, it made you immortal,' I replied. I rather suspect that Pickett gave a wrong reason for his unfriendly feelings. In May 1892, at the University of Virginia, I took breakfast with Professor Venable. Who had been on Lee's staff, he told me that some days before the surrender at Appomattox, General Lee ordered Pickett under arrest. I suppose for the Five Forks affair. Footnote: Battle of April One, eighteen sixty-five. End footnote. I think the professor said that he carried the order. I remember very well his adding that, on the retreat, Pickett passed them, and that General Lee said with deep feeling is that man still with this army i once went to see the tomb at montcalm in the chapel of the ursuline convent at quebec when i read the inscription fate denied him victory but blessed him with a glorious immortality it recalled general robert e lee end of chapter